Hey, hey, what's up, Grace Church? Just a little shout out here from me, BT, and the LP Tears. Uh, we just wanted to say we love you guys. We miss you. We are certainly thinking about you and really, 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 really looking forward to being back with you at church. So we love you. We'll see you soon. Later, Grace Church. We love you. We love you. Miss y'all. Hello, Grace Church. We miss y'all and love y'all. Love the Brown family. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Grace Church. We and love, we love you. to miss you. I really, really miss you. I can't wait to be back with y'all. Okay. Oh, I can't get back with y'all. We miss you, Grace Church. So glad everyone's staying safe. Can't wait to see everyone. Love you, Grace Church. Hey, Grace Church. Hey, everybody. Thought we'd do a little something for you when the Saints come marching in. In the KFC? See. Yeah, let's try it. Okay, go ahead. Can't wait for the Saints of Grace to come marching back in. We miss you and we love you all. Bye. Well, good evening, Grace Church, and welcome. We are so glad that you've chosen to join us this evening on live stream and Facebook Live, and we're going to have another great time in the Word of God this evening, and we miss you, and it's so great to see those of our Grace Church family that we just heard from, and we're looking forward to hearing from so many others here in the coming services. God bless you so much tonight. I want to give you an opportunity to give this evening, and of course, there's three ways to give. You can give online. You can text to give, and then you can also mail your gift to the P.O. Box uh, for Grace Church. And we appreciate your generosity. We thank you for giving to the kingdom of God and being a blessing to the ministry of Grace Church as we reach souls for the kingdom of God. While you're giving, I do want to remind you of just a couple of things, a few things that are coming up this week. And, of course, we'll have service Sunday morning. At 11 o'clock, once again, via live stream, and we want you to join us, be a part of that. And, and I know sometimes it's hard to quantify the numbers that are, that are watching, that are part of the, the live stream broadcast on Sunday mornings, but we do know that it's very wide-reaching. We know that it's very, very uh, well-received and very well-viewed, and uh, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that in this time... The reach of Grace Church, the ministry of Grace Church can be expanded to very, very many people that need it most. So God bless you for tuning in and being a part of that. We are so glad for what God is doing through the live stream. Also, as we've been announcing, but I want you to remember, we have the podcast being updated weekly. Uh, about every other day or so is when they're being updated. It's content from our teachers right here at Grace Church, the various classes, all the way from the young people through the Overcomers group, those Sunday school classes, those teachers are posting content weekly, and we want you to make sure you take advantage of that. That's another way to stay connected and to be a part of what's going on here at Grace Church, even while we're under the stay-at-home order. And again, the children's Sunday school classes and the junior high Sunday school class 
are being live streamed, or they're, they're, it's not live stream, I'm sorry, but it's a Zoom meeting live on Sunday mornings. The kids are meeting at 10 o'clock through Zoom, the junior high in the afternoon, and then also throughout, I think one night during the week, the high school students are also meeting via Zoom. If you need that link to those Zoom meetings, please contact the church office. We believe we've reached everyone that is affected by that or that needs to know that. But if we've missed anybody, please contact the church office. We want you to take advantage of this as well. Again, a great way to stay connected. And then let me, uh, media team, skip ahead to the Sunday, May 3rd. is going to be graduation Sunday or the Sunday that we honor our graduates. And so if you're graduating, we want you to get your information to the Grace Church office because we want to honor you and applaud you for the accomplishment and what you've done. And so if you'll get that to Grace Church, we will look forward to honoring you on May the 3rd. Um, there's been a, 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 a rescheduling on, on the district level that you need to know about men's conference. It's almost time for men's conference, or I should say it was almost time for men's conference. April, 20, uh, April 23rd, which would be next week, is when men's conference was scheduled to begin. Uh, men, if you were planning on going to that, if you have not heard, if you haven't gotten the word, we want you to know that um, that has been rescheduled to September the 10th through 12th, so to the fall, September 10th through 12th. Make a note on your calendar and be a part of that in the fall. God bless you. God bless you. I hope you got all that. If you got it, say amen. Amen. Boy, that was a resounding amen. Thank you so much. Glad to hear it. Um, hopefully, you can at least do a thumbs up on your computer. All right. I want to just leave you with something very very quickly. I feel like we're in the messy middle. And I don't mean that we're at the halfway point. I don't guess anybody really knows where we're at in, in, that, in that sense. But we're at what I call the messy middle. This is something my family and I learned during our, our time at St. Jude in Memphis. And we also learned it during the flood. There, there's a point when you're going through something. When, when you, and, and notice I said when you're going through. You're not staying. You're not stopping. But you're going through a valley. Going through a storm going through a, a difficult time. You're, you're far now from the beginning. The beginning's in the rearview mirror, but you can't really see the end yet either. And it's that messy middle that gets to be sometimes the most challenging because it's, you can't turn around and go back, but sometimes it's hard to find the courage to go forward. And so I want to encourage you today. I don't know when the stay-at-home order will be over. I don't know when we'll get to go back to life as it was before. But I do want you to be encouraged, and I want you to hang in there, and I want you to stay strong. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, this verse right here, rejoicing in hope. So we rejoice in hope. We have hope. There is going to be an end to this. Patient in tribulation. So we got to be patient, even in tribulation. And then continuing instant in prayer. So that gives us some things to work on, doesn't it? It gives us the, the, the challenge to rejoice in our hope, patient in our tribulation, but always continuing in prayer. So I want, I want to encourage you tonight to stay strong, keep your chin up, keep your shoulders squared. We're going to get through this. We're going to be okay. We're going to be back together soon. And I want you to let God do some things in your life. I want to let, let God do some things in your family through this time. Don't miss what he wants to do in your life. God bless you so much. I want you right where you are to clap your hands and give the Lord a shout of praise as pastor comes to the pulpit to teach Bible study tonight. God bless you. Well, good afternoon, everybody. And uh, we're thankful to 
have you joining us tonight, and uh, we pray that you've had a great week, and uh, I do know that this past Sunday was uh, really amazing, had a wonderful, wonderful time in the Lord this past Sunday, Easter Sunday, and uh, I want to just say how grateful we are to have all of you uh, joining us. As Brother Dave just mentioned, uh, the numbers are far more than what we expected or anticipated. And uh, we thank you very, very much for watching. Um, I want to be careful be that we're, we're uh, on live stream. But I want to send out a, a huge, huge thank you. We received a thank you card today um, from a, a parent of someone who attends Grace Church in the far, far north. If you're watching tonight, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, just sent a very generous love offering to the church, and we thank you for that. Uh, thank you for watching, and uh, we pray that our services have been a blessing. And uh, just wanted to send a shout-out to that person. And I'm, I was just waiting for our sweet and dear Brother Mike to start playing that guitar in that video we just saw. And I was, I'm still wondering if we have a hidden talent that we've not yet been exposed to. So we'll have be having a chat with him the next time I see him. So, Brother Mike, if you're watching, either you know how to play or you need to start taking lessons real quick because I want to hear a song the next time I see you. Not only playing the guitar, but I want to hear some singing. So uh, we'll have a good time with that one. Uh, I do want to let everybody know as well that we posted... We got some information from Louisiana District concerning scheduling of youth camps and what have you. Uh, some of those dates were changed today. Uh, we're going to repost the revised dates if it's not been done already uh, in the next day or two. So moms and dads, if you're planning on sending your kids to camp uh, this year, uh, you need to look up those dates so you can plan accordingly. Let's jump into Bible study. I'm not going to keep you a long time tonight. Uh, I want to continue our lesson from last Wednesday night. If you'll remember, uh, I mentioned to you that I wanted to give you some information tonight, some Bible scriptures that would assist you uh, in talking to people uh, about the, the plan of salvation, the point of repentance, water baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost and whatnot. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to grab you a, a, an ink pen and some paper and uh, I'm going to do a little bit of review, but you'll have an opportunity to get you a pen and paper. And if someone talks to you, and, and the, the, the target group I would like to address tonight with this is our parents with younger children. Uh, we have baptized uh, a significant number of our kids in the past couple of years, and uh, very thankful for that. And, and most of them, if not all of them, have gone on to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, but I want to address the parents of our younger children and also um, our junior high, high school students. If you have uh, parents, if you have students at home uh, in that age group, I'd like for you to, to write these verses down. It's going to take me a minute or two to get to it, so you have a time to get your pen and paper. But you will be able to tell them and show them the significance of repenting, of being water baptized and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I may go off script a little bit, but uh, um, we're going to give you some information that I believe will be helpful. So let's do a little bit of review. Last Wednesday night, 
I talked to you about apostolic altar calls. And that's where I'll begin tonight. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The most important question that anyone can ever ask was asked first on the day of Pentecost when the people standing around the upper room said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The meaning of that is what shall we do to to be saved or to be right with God? And so last Wednesday night I talked to you about the gospel and we believe that our foundation for the gospel is Acts 2.38. That's what we teach and preach here. And uh, all throughout the book of Acts they never deviated from that plan. But I gave you the definition of the word gospel uh, which is not just good tidings but it, it also means someone giving you a gift. So God truly gave us a gift when he offered his spirit in us in the form or manifestation of the Holy Ghost. So it's not something you have to beg for. It's not something you have to plead with God for. You don't get good to get God, uh, all of that. You repent, you're water baptized, and you're a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So tonight I want to, with that little short review, I want to give you the three steps of obedience and uh, in, in, in putting Acts 2.38. Let's put it under a, a magnifying glass just for a few moments tonight uh, where I would like to uh, deviate from my notes just for a second is a, a Bible study that I thoroughly enjoy teaching. I've had the privilege of teaching it just recently to someone. But if you study Acts chapter 1, the Bible said that Jesus appeared to his disciples After he resurrected from the dead, uh, he appeared to them off and on throughout uh, between his resurrection and ascension. And the Bible goes on to say in Acts chapter 1 that he gave them commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God. And we know that the kingdom of God, according to the scripture, is not just talking about heaven, but it's also talking about the Holy Ghost. So he gave them commandments before he ascended back into heaven on how to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So listen very carefully. That information is found in Acts chapter 1. But if you go to Luke chapter 24, Mark 16, and Matthew 28, you'll find three instances at the end of those books where he met with his disciples and he gave those uh, disciples that he met with these commandments. Peter did not just pull the wording of Acts 2.38 out of thin air. He was obeying what Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, He was obeying what Jesus had taught them uh, on how to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So for example, in Matthew 28, he said that he wanted men to be baptized. In Mark 16, he wanted them uh, to believe and to be baptized. Uh, And then they would speak with new tongues. And then in Luke 24, uh, he instructed them that he wanted repentance and forgiveness of sins taught in his name or the remission of sin taught in his name. So the Peter, when he spoke to the crowd in Acts chapter 2, he assimilated those at least three different occasions where Jesus met with them and quoted to repent and to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
So Peter got his instruction from Jesus in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. And then for that matter, you could throw in Acts chapter 1 when he told them to go to the upper room and wait until you be endued with power from on high. So these are the three steps that lead you into a relationship with God, an apostolic relationship with God based strictly on the Word of God. We don't deviate it. We don't change it. We, we apply it just like it's written in the Word of God. So I wanted you to be sure tonight as I go through this where Acts 2.38 came from. It came directly from the commandments that Jesus gave his disciples after he resurrected and before he ascended. And I gave you the scripture references for that uh, in all three cases. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find the instructions towards the end of those chapters that I gave you. So let's talk about, first of all tonight, this, the three steps of obedience. I talked to you this past Sunday about doing the will of God which Jesus did when he was baptized, but then he had to say no to the devil. So this is an obedience thing. It's not just based on believing. It's essential that you obey it. You can believe it all you want, but until you obey it, it there's not going to be any of the, of the application made. The illustration that I oftentimes use is if you look at one of your children and tell them to bring you a glass of water, and they look at you and say, bring me a glass of water, they didn't obey what you said. They repeated what you said. And as you can see by that illustration, there is a huge difference between believing and obeying. So repentance is actually the first step with action involved that we take towards salvation. It involves action because we were born with a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. We inherited a sinful nature from our parents and have committed sinful acts. It is essential that we repent and turn to God. So this is the first step. Those of you with younger children, they can understand this very easily. Uh, when they disobey their parents, you ask them to do two things. You would like to hear, I'm sorry, and you would like to hear, I'm not going to do that again. And this is the essence of what Jesus is asking us to do and what Peter repeated Jesus saying in Acts chapter 2. So in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, the Bible said, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So everybody has sinned. And as a result of that, it is, a, it is essential, if you want to have relationship with God, that you repent and turn to God. Repentance is not an option. If you want forgiveness of your sin, you have to have a moment of repentance. Repentance is not merely just feeling sorry or feeling guilty or feeling condemned or ashamed for your sin, although that is part of it. In fact, it is this godly sorrow, as the Bible calls it, that causes us to repent. You hear a gospel message, you hear a gospel song, whatever it is, you hear someone's testimony and it makes you feel bad and uncomfortable with a sin that you know exists in your life so you want to get rid of it. And the way you do that is through repentance. But you feel sorry. 
You regret doing things you've done. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So godly sorrow worketh to repentance. Our praise team sings a song. There's a line in it and it strikes me every time I hear him sing it. But your kindness leads me to repentance. Talking about the kindness, the mercy, the patience, the long-suffering of God. Just knowing that should be a motivator to cause us to want to be right with God. So repentance is biblically defined as turning around. It's, it's making a 180, if you will, an about face. It's an inward change of attitude that leads toward an outward change of action. It's an inward change of attitude that leads toward an outward change of action. Unless both of these occur, real repentance has not taken place. So you can change your ways, but until God has forgiven you, you haven't repented. But if you repent of your sin and don't change your ways, that don't do much good either. So again, this is three steps of obedience. And so you repent of your sin, you turn around, and you quit doing that. So again, unless both of these occur, real repentance has not taken place. The Bible said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. So if you want to repent, you have to be honest about it. You have to be sincere about it. You have to be transparent about it. It's kind of like being married and apologizing to your spouse when you don't really mean it. They know it. Yes, they do. Uh, it's kind of like having older kids that you tell them, you go tell your brother or your sister I'm sorry, and they go, I'm sorry. Okay, well, you know they didn't mean that. They're just obeying you, making them say that. The Bible said to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, or something that's appropriate, something that's expected, something that's from the abundance of your heart. So when I repent, I'm applying the death of Christ to my life, making it effective in me. His death is a type of repentance. He died out to his desires. Remember, he said in the garden, if it be possible, let this cup die, but pass from me. He didn't want to die. But he did, so that you and I might have life. So um, when you repent, you're applying the death of Christ to your life and you make it effective. Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So when you want to explain repentance to somebody, I've just given you some verses and we know that's not all of them, right? Uh, you could do some Bible study on your own and find a whole bunch more. But this is a great platform through which you can present repentance, especially to your children who want to be baptized or your children who've already been baptized but don't really understand it. Teach them, folks. We're all closed in. Sit down with them tomorrow and go through these verses with them and explain that to them so they understand. So let's go on to step three, which is water baptism. Water baptism is indeed an outward physical act, but our obedience to the terms of God's covenant accomplishes an inner spiritual work on the inside of us. It's an outward, something that we do outward. We're physically immersed into water as the Bible commands. But when you come back up, the work of water baptism has happened on the inside of you. That's why 
uh, in the Bible, there's no such thing as a Christian who has not been baptized. And people ask, do I have to be baptized? A good answer is no, you get to get baptized. And uh, I think that's a great answer. And I've yet in all of my years of ministry ever seen anybody filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost or that genuinely repented that did not want to be water baptized. Everybody, 100% across the board, said, when can I? And usually they bring it up if they are aware of that in the Bible. They'll bring it up and say, when can I be baptized? We had somebody at Grace Church recently, uh, very first time, came in the door, very first time to be here, brand new to Pentecost, came down to the front, received the Holy Ghost in just a matter of just a couple of three minutes and opened his eyes and said, I want to be baptized right now. Uh, nobody even asked. Nobody suggested it. So this is a natural thing. When, when you feel that load of sin lifted, now you want it washed away. And that's what water baptism does. So let's look at a list of some things, uh, at least some of the issues that are dealt with when an individual is baptized in Jesus' name. Again, if you'll write this stuff down, just write down the chapter and verse. You can go back and watch this later uh, if you want to go through it again. But I want you to notice the Bible teaches that your sins are washed away or remitted, accomplishing God's full work of forgiveness. Uh, Peter said that we're baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. An illustration I like to use is if somebody has suffered with cancer and they've gone through treatment and what have you, uh, at some point the doctor will tell them that their cancer is in remission. It means that they've had it but they don't have it anymore. So when we're, when we're baptized in water for the remission of sin, we had sin, but we don't have it anymore. But the same is true with sin as it is with cancer. It always has a chance of coming back. And that's why we have to work so hard to make sure that doesn't happen. But the Bible said in Acts 22, verse 16, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away all thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord. So all of your sins are washed away in water baptism. But not only that, your conscience is washed and cleansed so that I can be free from my past way of thinking. More specifically and relevant, I believe, is when you're baptized in water in the name of Jesus, the Bible said God washes all of your sins away and casts them in to the sea of forgetfulness, meaning that he doesn't remember them anymore. So after you've been water baptized and there's something you did in the past that's bothering you three years ago and you say, God, I'm really sorry about that sin, he can honestly look back at you and say, what sin? He doesn't remember it anymore. So if God forgets it, then we should have the discipline to forget it as well, uh, knowing that our sins have not only been forgiven, but they've been washed away. Um, I've used the illustration before of a child who, uh, a family that's about to go get their picture made somewhere. And so the mama gets all the kids dressed and tells them to sit on the couch in the living room while she goes and gets ready. And we both know, we all know that that don't happen. They're going to hop down. And so the child gets down and goes outside and gets their hands all dirty. They can come in and say, my hands are dirty. And mama could say, well, that's okay, I forgive you, but that don't take the dirt off the hand. You have to take the kids to the sink and wash their hands in water. This is a very similar illustration to what water baptism does. 
But in addition to that, mama moves on. So if the child says the next day that, you know, I'm really sorry for what I did, mama can't say that I forgot about it. She don't have to bring it up, but that don't mean she forgot it. But God forgets it. He doesn't retain that in his memory. So your conscience is washed and cleansed so I can be free from things I've done, uh, sins I've committed in the past. The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not just washing away our sin, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. And that's the beauty of, the, of water baptism. Why would you want to be water baptized if this is what you gain out of it? The third thing is that my body is buried in a grave of water. That's why we immerse people in water, just like you bury people under the ground. Uh, we immerse people in water. So your, your body is buried in a, a grave of water portraying the death of your old life. Remember, you've repented. You've turned around. You've made a decision. I'm not going to live in sin anymore. So uh, being water baptized is showing uh, the death of your old life. The Bible said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So the same thing when Jesus came out of the tomb that we celebrated this past Sunday. He had scars, but all of his wounds were healed. When you're water baptized, you may come up with some scars, but all of the wounds and all the damage, God has repaired that when you were baptized in the name of Jesus in water. And then the fourth thing is I am born again of the water, portraying the birth of my new life. So when you go down in the water, it's typical or symbolic of your dying, you're being buried. But when you come up out of the water, it's symbolic of resurrection, that you are beginning a new life. This is what Jesus said, that you must be born of water and spirit. Uh, in John chapter 3, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And this is not talking about heaven. It's talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then in water baptism, I am brought into God's covenant of New Testament salvation, portraying the cutting off of my fleshly desires. The Bible said in Colossians chapter 2, 11 and 12, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism. Let me move on. You take upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ, which is the only name, uh, the only saving name. The Bible said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's, it's very similar to a couple getting married. Uh, the, the bride will take her uh, new husband's last name. When you're water baptized, you take on the name of Jesus. My name is Glenn Murphy Jesus, in my opinion. I've taken on the family name of God. And this puts us in covenant with him. It entitles us or gives us opportunity to all of his promises and commitments and so on that you read in the Bible. And then I apply the burial of Christ to my life, making it effective in me. 
And I, 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 I do hope and pray when, when you hear this short segment of this study that you understand the significance of it. I've said many, many times that when God fills people with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, people don't learn later on in life how to lean on that power, how to use that power, how to demonstrate that power in their own life. And that's why people are sometimes so awkward in their relationship with God and very weak in their relationship with God. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus, you're making his burial effective. So the same power that raised him up from the dead is now operating in you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by, by, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And then when you're water baptized, you demonstrate publicly that I am beginning a new life, committing myself to Christ and to my church family. I really don't see where in Scripture um, it's... Baptism is not applicable if you're, buried, if you're baptized privately. Uh, we've done that on more than one occasion that people just feel a little awkward and standing in front of people. Uh, for example, in our baptismal tank that's behind that wall behind me, uh, they feel a little awkward doing that in front of people. And um, I understand that. And uh, I'm not going to judge anybody along that line. And I will say that I've... I've don't know that maybe a handful of occasions since I've been in ministry that I baptized anybody that I was the only one present. Uh, but nonetheless, if I baptize somebody, then I'm a witness to their baptism. But it's a beautiful thing when people will allow themselves to be baptized in front of the church congregation because you demonstrate publicly that I am beginning a new life. It's kind of like being born at the hospital, but you don't let anybody see you. Um, and I, I think we need to consider encouraging people to make that public statement. The Bible said in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And, so, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. So the more a believer, you make that public statement, and the more a believer studies the Bible, the more a believer studies the Bible, I don't know how many times I need to repeat that for you to get the point. Um, we have too many Pentecostals that are real deficient in scripture knowledge because you don't study it. And I want to say I appreciate people doing little devotions every morning, but sooner or later uh, we need to get past the poems and the cool sayings and all these different translations and just pick up a Bible and study it. Pick a subject and study it. Uh, it would help you tremendously in your walk with God. But the more a believer studies the Bible, the more they find out about the miraculous events that happened back at a time of their salvation experience. A small matter of saying yes to the terms of God's covenant leads to a lifetime of spiritual relationship and discovery, much like the small matter of saying I do to the terms of one's wedding vows leads to a lifetime of discovery of all the implication of those two words uttered in an instant. Think about that. Uh, my wife and I will be married this November, I think about 43 years, if I'm correct on that. And uh, um, I didn't totally understand all the knowledge and experience and all the pathways 
that those two words I said that night in that wedding ceremony was going to take me down. And I think anybody here that's listening or watching, <clears throat> if you've been married for any length of time, you understand now what that I do meant. It's two very simple words, only three letters, but it fills your life with a wealth of experience and knowledge and relationship value and what have you. In my opinion, Acts 2.38 is a very simple commandment. But when you obey it, it opens up a world of spiritual relationship, of comfort and encouragement, inspiration, and the list is endless if you're willing to obey it and develop it. And much like marriage, when you begin relationship with God, you have to work at it. God don't pray for you. He don't read your Bible for you. He don't witness for you. You have to do that. But if you will develop that, along with many other things, your relationship with God will be powerful and rich and fruitful as the days go by. And then the third uh, step of obedience is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I know there's a lot of different denominations and what have you that now look at this as optional. Uh, I don't read that in the Scripture. I don't find that in the Scripture. The baptism of the Holy Ghost provides power to help me live for God. Number one, it brings me rest and peace and joy. In Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So the Holy Ghost is rest and it's refreshing according to Isaiah 28. And then in Romans 14, I referenced this a little while ago, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's, it's not a social event, but righteousness and joy and peace and the Holy Ghost. It's what the Bible teaches. The kingdom of God is the Holy Ghost. So it brings rest and peace and joy according to the scripture. Number two, it helps me pray. The Holy Ghost will help you pray. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Spirit of God can help you pray if you'll do it. And then Jude, verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying... In the Holy Ghost, you have to allow it to work in you and through you and what have you. So I'm picturing right now in my mind, there's going to be some moms probably tomorrow, Friday, maybe even Saturday, going to set your kids down for a few minutes and say, let me explain to you what happened when you repented, when you were water baptized, when you were filled with the Holy Ghost. Or if their kids want to repent or they want to be baptized, they want the Holy Ghost, now you can sit down and explain to them the significance of why they need to embrace a relationship with God on this level. <clears throat> and then the Holy Ghost gives me power to witness to others about Jesus. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. So we understand that the Holy Ghost will give you power to witness, but you have to engage it and work it in your life. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the Bible said, When they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. They were praying and were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then the Holy Ghost teaches me. 
It guides me and shows me things to come. Jesus said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In John 16, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and that he, he will show you things to come. This is, the, this is why the Holy Ghost is so essential. Look at what you give up if you don't have it. And if you're trying to embark upon a relationship with God without the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. There'll be a lot of things you don't understand. This is the beauty of receiving the Spirit of God into your life. The next thing, uh, the next value about receiving the Holy Ghost is it gives me power over the enemy. The Bible said in Isaiah 59 verse 19, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun or the east. When the army shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So you have power over the enemy. John said in his epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then the Holy Ghost completes the work of salvation on the inside of you in your heart. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's a powerful scripture. When you start thinking about the Holy Ghost being optional or not, I think the Bible is very clear in that verse that it is certainly not an option. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then you are none of his. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible said, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So we must always preach truth in love. We must always preach truth in love, but we must always preach the truth. We do not love a person. We do not love a person when we stop short of telling them about God's plan of salvation for fear of offending them. And I want to say with all of my heart today, and I say it often, those that did attend Grace Church know it, that anybody's welcome to attend our church. However, merely attending church service does not make anybody a Christian. I want everybody to understand that. You still have to embrace apostolic teaching, apostolic doctrine. That's a part of a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, that's what relationship with God is built on. You, you really can't go far into a relationship with God until you've experienced what Peter taught in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And in conclusion, I want everybody to understand, Peter didn't reach up into the air and just pull this out of thin air. He didn't just sit down with some of the disciples here and there and say, what do y'all think we ought to say in case somebody asks? He was taught by a resurrected Christ in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and in Luke 24 and even Acts chapter 1. He was taught by Jesus and he took those commandments 
and presented those to the brethren. And if you continue on through the book of Acts, not only Acts chapter 2 to the Jewish people, but to Acts chapter uh, 10 to the Gentile people, Acts chapter 19 to religious people, the message was the same. They repented. They were baptized in water in the name of Jesus. And they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they were speaking in other tongues. And that's what we teach here. Uh, it's our basis for uh, our whole church gathering here. It's a found, one of the foundations that we're built on. In addition to believing that there's one God and his name is Jesus. I could talk a long time on this subject. But my time is up. But I hope it's been beneficial to you, especially our parents. Um, I hope you've jotted these scriptures down, taken a few notes, and you'll sit down with your children and help them understand. Help them understand. Don't wait for pastor to do it. Don't wait for our student minister to do it. Don't wait for a Sunday school teacher to do it. You do it. Let them hear it from you. In conclusion, the first, the first thing that my two children heard me say when they were born course they don't remember it but it makes me feel good that I said it the first words they heard out of my mouth both of them when I held them I didn't goo goo and gaga and tell them how gorgeous they were even though they were I held them up to my their little ear up to my mouth and quoted then Peter said unto them repent be baptized I want to be the first one to tell them that and I thank God that both of them have embraced that so teach your children folks teach your children, and then throughout their lifetime, uh, Sister Murphy and I have had many opportunities to reaffirm the obedience, the, 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 the necessity of obedience to that scripture. So God bless you tonight. I hope and trust this was a blessing to you. Keep listening to the books of the Bible song. You parents that don't know where some of these books are, just memorize that little song, and it'll help you find those verses just like that. You can hum it in your head and go right to the book. So it'll be good for you, and it'll be great for your kids. God bless you. Have a great evening, and we'll look forward to being back with you again this coming Sunday. God bless you in Jesus' name. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Get it.